The Deep Dive Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you. And by... Latin Hustle, Night Fever, Disco Merengue. Learn the hottest disco steps at home with the Let's Disco Book and Album, the complete disco dance instruction system. Learn freestyle, line, and couples dances with the Let's Disco Book. The album ties it together with professional instruction plus music by the biggest disco stars. So Let's Disco, only $7.95. Now available at Tower Records, B. Dalton Books, Eckert Drugs, Montgomery Wards, Woolworth, Musicland, and Sam Goody Stores. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, thousands of fathoms beneath the sea, this is the Deep Dive Podcast. All ahead, one third, off scope. Battle stations. Battle stations! Greetings, fellow divers. Welcome to our first podcast of 2019. Hopefully you've all recovered from recent festivities and have already fractured any and all New Year's resolutions you were <laughs> foolish enough to make. My name is Tom Feeney, writer for Wang's Chop Movie Magazine, latest issue now available on Amazon.com, and with me is... Manda. That was a nice little plug there. Thank you. Yeah, it was pretty good. Did you rehearse that? Yes. Yeah. Okay, fine. We'll tell them that. Uh, this is Manda. I'm excited. This is like our first, well, no, it's not our first episode. What am I thinking? First episode of this year. Yeah. And I am fresh from the decam- decontamination chamber. That's what they call it. That's what they call it. Yes. They promised me food, but I never got that food. That's why you smell like lilacs. Ah, yeah. Fresh. Love Very decon. Fresh. <laughs> <sighs> oh, yeah. I'm excited. Good, good. Yeah, I've been watching so many movies lately. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because you get kind of bored when you're like about 3,000 feet below sea level. No kidding. Yeah. 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 And the pressure sometimes gets to you. Like so, physically? Like actual yeah. pressure? Like sea pressure? Uh, Yep, that's the one. Or yep. emotional pressure? <sighs> I thought we were going to talk about that. Fine. Yeah. All right. So let's get to it, shall we? We shall. Okay. So there is a genre of movie mm. that really has no midway point in terms of quality. <laughs> it's a truly binary category. Either mm-hmm. it's upliftingly, energizingly good, or soul-crushingly bad. Hmm. We are, of course, talking about musicals. Musicals. Yes. You can either have a Grease or mm-hmm. Grease 2. <laughs> Ooh, that's tough to swallow. It is. It is. So musicals are a notoriously tough genre to crack. Mm-hmm. Because having people randomly break into song while being followed by strangers to perform highly choreographed dance numbers just isn't normal. So how many times have you done that, Amanda? Um, counting the first time mm-hmm. that didn't actually happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, never. Okay. Never. I mean, yeah, me usually once or twice a year at the most. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's not a normal thing for people to do. <laughs> so anyway, we thought we'd talk about some of our favorite musicals available to stream on your screens of choice. <laughs> Amanda, what have you got for us? Oh, man, I got a couple of good points and a good ones to talk about. My first one is called Repo! Exclamation point, the genetic opera. Ooh. Yeah, I know, right? So uh, it actually stars uh, Paul Sorvino, which I think is Mira's dad. Mira mm-hmm. Sorvino's dad? I believe so. I think so, yeah. Uh, Alexa Vega, who was in Spy Kids. Yeah, so now she's in every Hallmark movie. I know. Good for her, right? Yeah, she's come up in the world. she got a nice career going. <laughs> uh, also stars Anthony Stewart Head from Buffy. Love him. And guess what? Sarah Brightman. Like, you wouldn't expect to hear that name amongst uh, this sort of... <laughs> 
opera, rock opera, musical. So Phantom um, of the Repo Genetic Opera. Wow. See? That's brilliant. That See, was they brilliant. should have called it that. Actually, I really don't like her version of Phantom of the Opera. No? I know. Is that horrible for me to say? Yes. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> um, okay. So basically, I'll give you a quick little breakdown. Okay. Right? It is post-apocalyptic time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We're anywhere in the world. We're like, it, everything's dank. Dark. People wear trench coats. Mm. Yeah, I know. And they have long hair and they wear makeup. Grease paint, it still exists. But people are also dying. Like, they have really bad diseases that there are apparently no cures for. Mm. And most people suffer from organ failure. So what's the next step? Well, to put organs organs on Loway. Like okay. At, uh, like Organ Mart, kind of. Yes, very yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are some people, unfortunately, who pay for these organs and then default on their payments. And much like in today's society where someone will come and uh, repo your vehicle for not paying, well, these people uh, come and repo your organs. you got to pay your bills, you know. You know, yeah. But it's just the idea that someone can say, you know what, you haven't paid on your kidneys, you're six months behind, I'm going to have to get a scalp. Oh, you wouldn't get me about that, would you? <laughs> that was good. That was good. <laughs> um, so... It essentially, it follows along a couple of storylines, but the basic one uh, is this little girl. She's been trapped into in this in her home forever because she's sick, or at least she believes she's sick. Mm. And Anthony Stewart Head, who is her dad, who also plays Giles and Buffy. Yes, which I think we're going to get to. Later yes, well. we are. I love him. He's so pleasant. Mm. Um, he basically is forced into this really tough position, and as a parent, does he choose his? kid over over what he knows is right or vice versa and it, it turns out that it's one of those muddled things where he did choose what's right but he also lied to her uh-huh. and this weird thing and she's not actually sick but anyway, she meets these fellow people who are amongst the apocalyptic population and one of the main combatants of this of course organ failure death and um, sadness and ill health is something called zydrate funny I know mm. it's like hydrate but with a xi in front of it. Is that for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis? <laughs> no, it's for moderate to severe organ failure. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually like um, a new age penicillin. It's mm. a very, very uh, pollutant and also fast acting pain reliever. Um, here's a trick. You can only get it from people who have passed away. <laughs> so they have these, um, these folks called grave robbers and repo men who go and get this Zydrate formula and then essentially sell it on the black market. Um, Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's a nod, a subtle nod to the sort of opioid crisis that the earth is now going through Mm -hmm. right now. You know, people above us. I like to call it upstairs. Oh. Yeah, I'm calling it upstairs for now, even though I know it's like, you know, above sea level. (laughs) Um, And the whole thing follows um, just, you know, your fight for survival. And really what I liked about it is that it's just so classically bad. The music is very, um, I don't know, it's dream theater-ish, which, listen, I know dream theater's a good band, but we're talking like super rocky and um, mix that in with a bit of Mary Poppins and West Side Story. You know, at one point they're talking about dying and the next thing is let's break into song and talk about how you're going to die. Like you do. Yeah, like you do. Yeah. Like you apparently have experienced. I haven't I haven't gotten to that level yet, but keep doing this podcast and that's certainly possible. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's just really it it's one of those ones where I, I certainly can see why people don't like it. Um, but I think if you have an open mind to it and you just give it a chance, the music will kind of uh it will grow on you, and you'll find yourself sort of singing the the Zydrate song, and uh, yeah, 
listen for a quick second. Zydrate comes in a little glass vial. A little glass vial? And the little glass vial goes into the gun like a battery. And the Zydrate gun goes somewhere against your anatomy. And when the gun goes off, it sparks and you're ready for surgery. Surgery. Um, so hmm. what did Metacritic give it? They gave it a 32 out of wow. 100. Not hey, good. that's not that bad. I've seen mm. worse, but mm. that's not that good. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 38% similarly. Okay. Um, I have my own thing. I'm calling it the Manda Meter. Really? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. cool. It is pretty cool. I'm giving it a 6 out of 10 based on three things. The concept. I think the idea of the sort of repossessing organs that you can lay away is a pretty new thing. I wouldn't necessarily have gone that far, so it's kind of crazy. I like the music and the makeup. Most times where you see these things on stage, you think, okay, it's a very rushed job for makeup, but these uh, actors were almost unrecognizable at some point, um, and I thought it was really good. And it wasn't stereotypical, like, zombie makeup. Mm -hmm. It was just really, really good. I think it was more like on Cats level, minus the cats. I have no idea what that means, but okay, I'll yeah. take your word for that. <laughs> um, you can get it on Amazon Prime. You can buy it on Amazon Prime for six ninety nine, or you can rent it on YouTube for three ninety nine. I think you should probably rent it because having it in your collection might be something you know embarrassing that you have to explain to your children later on, and I don't know if you'd be able to at least as eloquently as I'm doing it. Yeah, I have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah so that's my first one um i really like that one i've got another one this one uh, i know that it's probably really selfish of me but it's one of my favorite favorite episodes ever and guess what it's from buffy oh the vampire slayer yes Yes. the sort of mid-2000s version so we're not talking the 1980s version um with the guy from 90210 i don't know his name but um you're talking about luke perry yeah luke perry christy swanson yeah not that one yeah so the one with Sarah Michelle Gellar in it, mm. David Boreanaz, James Marsden, David Boreanaz, he's one of those like heartbreaker ones and you just love him so much. You hate him, but you love him, but you love him even more. And then he dies. He's a vampire, whatever. Um, anyways, this is called Once More With Feeling and it is the only, the only episode to be formed, be performed as a musical, a musical. Um, I think it was season six, episode seven. Um, you can, of course, get this on uh, Amazon Prime. You can YouTube it. You can also rent it on YouTube. But also, you can get it on Hulu. If you have a, if you have a subscription, oh, nice. you can get it for free. Yeah. And I believe they have all eight seasons, seven wow. or eight seasons. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, so, quick breakdown. We have Sunnydale. That is the epitome and the epicenter of all this demonic activity, as you know, like vampires, but also like every creature imaginable. Well, like Riverdale is now. Yeah, I still haven't seen that though, but I heard people are going gaga over it. Mm. Yeah, and it's like in every hot topic I've ever seen. That worries me. Yeah, I know. Where have the days gone? So old. Anyways, um, Sunnydale, uh, it's where a lot of demonic activity happens and you just kind of assume that people don't notice it, right? But in this episode, every time someone, a random person walking on the street or one of Buffy's crew has to you know, let loose this uh, unearthed truth, like something they've been dealing with for a very long time, and they bury it deep down, they break into song. Um, an example would be uh, Xander. He's one of the crew. He's one of Buffy's best friends. He's getting married to a, uh, a demon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. As you do. Yeah, oh. yeah. And um, they they uh, reasonably have some qualms that they want to settle through. So they start breaking into song, uh, essentially about who's going to make breakfast. Right? Will he like waffles? Does she like waffles? It, it's a whole thing. Um, but up until this moment, it's been uh, 
like everyone's been kind of on edge. Buffy has just recently been brought back from the dead, like really dead this time. And what the crew doesn't know, uh, including Anthony Stewart head, cha-ching. And we go back. Uh, yes. Uh, she was in like this sort of heaven-like state, right? And they pulled her out of it because of course they love her and they want to bring her back, but she's no longer the same person she was. She's like a shell to the point where she doesn't feel anything. She literally can't feel anything. Fire, coldness, nothing like that. Um, so starts off with Buffy kind of reminiscing about that. Um, d- does going through the motions, right? Doesn't really necessarily uh, know what she's doing other than she's just back to do what one purpose doesn't feel anything doesn't necessarily have any connections with anybody kind of is uh mad at those people for bringing it back but doesn't want to tell them because she loves them so that kind of deal she's also got this side thing with spike going on spike is a vampire she hates spikes loves spike is attracted to spike but hates him still but they love each other it's a weird weird dynamic um but <laughs> this one part, um, I love it. It's it, close to the beginning where she's walking through a cemetery, as you do as a slayer. Mm-hmm. And she's just, you know, kind of talking about how she's just going through everything, going through the motions, I think the song is called. And uh, these demons start singing in the background <laughs> with oh. her. They break out a song and it's just so eloquently put together and uh, choreographed, as you say. It's funny. Every single night, the same arrangement. I go out and fight the fight. Still I always feel the strangest estrangement Nothing here is real, nothing here is right I've been making shows of trading blows Just hoping no one knows That I've been going through the motions Walking through the part Nothing seems to penetrate my heart I think what the be- what makes this episode really great too Is that there's always those subtle nods to like the fourth wall is that what you call it? Mm-hmm. Where you know that you're watching something, they know you're watching it, so they kind of give you a little wink. Yeah. There's so many of those. Um, I think the music is really great. It's very catchy. It's not very long and sort of, um, what's the word, sort of dramatic songs. They're very quick, but they get into, they're infectious. Mm-hmm. And you find yourself sort of singing them. In fact, when I was thinking about talking about this, I was singing the songs having not watched the episode for I don't even know, millennia, something like that. Um, But I love this one so, so much. Um, I think being a dedicated Buffy fan, I especially got to uh, reminisce, actually, when when researching for this one episode, in the sort of, I don't know, classic um, teen angsty, but yet under morbid undertone of death thing that I always went through as a high schooler, you know, when I was wearing black and chains and... You know, the, the thing. You know, right? You've been there. Mm. Yeah? No? Mm. Okay. Well, um, we'll skip that for right now. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I really, really recommend anybody to watch it. I think it's been one of the highest rated episodes they have ever had. Um, again, stars Sarah Michelle Gellar, Anthony Stewart Head, James Marsden. Uh, you can get it, I think I told you, on, on Amazon Prime and YouTube. Metacritic gave it a 100% score. Wow. Not even joking. Oh, my God. Now, it's obviously based on, like, one or two reviews. But that's not the right. point. The point is it's 100%. Sure. IMDb, which has many, many more reviews, gave it a 9.8. That's really impressive. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, the most important, of course, the Mandometer. Yes. I am giving it a 9.5 out of 10, based on three things again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the music. <laughs> um, the concept where uh, they are unable to figure out why they're being thrown into song. And by the way, I won't ruin that for anybody because it's kind of hilarious. Um, and then, again, makeup. I really find that in the the 
the portrayal of these demons and whatnot, the special effects crew does like so many cool things. But in particular, at the end of this episode, when you find out which demon is controlling, oops, I said too much. Um, it's really funny. Anyways, those are my picks. I really love Buffy. We should watch that. So I have a question. Yeah. You said 9.5. Mm-hmm. What shaved off that last 0.5% to keep it from being a 10 out of 10? Well, I think the the ultimate thing is I have... I didn't want to talk about this because I thought it was a little bit childish, but I'll go ahead. You brought it up. Mm. I'm mad at Buffy. Okay. Yeah. She hurt Angel. Angel was the first vampire she loved. Here we go. Okay. She ran him through with a sword, and now she's loving on Spike. And I don't like Spike because he's not Angel, and nobody consulted me. So I decided, you know, I'll give it a point five for that. You know, I think I might change the name of this podcast. To? I'm sorry I asked that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, and we should watch all of the seasons because once you watch them in a row, oh, so fun. So fun. We'll get right on that. Yeah, vampires. Yeah. And blood. Okay. That's but it's great. a musical, right? And that yeah. was the idea. That was the whole point. So it definitely qualifies. It does, yes. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Very good. You have anything? Well, yeah. Okay. So, um, I have a uh, I have a, a, a daughter who's yes. a tween, <laughs> and she basically breaks history down mm. into basically two eras. Okay. Before the disco, and after the disco. <laughs> so whenever I explain something historically, I have to say, "Oh, that happened before the disco." <laughs> uh, so you know. And if you listen to the intro to the show, you know, that's part of what I'm going to discuss is is the disco era. The disco era. So my pick is called Can't Stop the Music. Once you see Alan Carr's musical extravaganza, you'll know why you can't stop the excitement. Stop the music, an EMI film from AFD. So, as you just heard, <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is an interesting little uh, little flick. So, this is a 1980 musical disco disaster piece. Wow! That stars the Village People. Oh, now uh, YMCA. Yes, exactly. So, this movie has the dubious honor of being the inspiration for and the winner of the first Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture. Really? That's where this Golden Raspberry started. They do it every year with the Oscars. In other words, the same time as the Oscars, they have the Golden Raspberry Awards and pick, like, all the worst films. That this is the one that This is the one that inspired it. That's kind of a cool title. It is kind of a cool thing, which, you know. So, before I delve into this (laughs) two-hour glitter bomb... (laughs) Of a movie. We're going to go back in time. I know you love history. I do love history. So we're going to go back. Like blood and wars and like machetes? No, 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 no. Well, close. Actually, yes. Okay. Because we're going to go back to late 1970s New York City. Oh. <laughs> so at the time, New York City was a decaying, festering cesspool of crime and poverty. The city was going bankrupt. There were blackouts, serial killers roaming the streets. Um, it was pretty much the purge, but every day. Ooh. Yeah, it was bad. It was yeah. really bad. So what's a native New Yorker to do? Simple. Ingest huge quantities of cocaine and dance. 
It's what you did. So disco was the means of escape for many New York urbanites. Pure, unadulterated dance music. It was repetitive. The thumping beats and outrageous outerwear allowed, you know, a lot of people who felt they were on society's fringe kind of a way to connect with each other, right? And it was it was kind of that era's social media. They would go to Studio 54. They would all dress up in out, these crazy outfits, dance, and, you know, just sort of be there with each other. I mean, it was... Like it was like social media, but in person and with more feathered boas and quaaludes. Uh, kind of like a Renaissance festival. Yes, exactly, but without you know that smell. Yeah. <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> so one of the more iconic examples of this movement was the Village People. They were kind of a boy band before there were boy bands, right? <laughs> so each member of the Village People represented a kind of masculine stereotype. Okay. You had. Uh, the cop slash sailor, dependent. The Indian, in air quotes, because that's politically incorrect. Ooh, yeah. The GI, the biker, or as he was sometimes known, the leather man, the construction worker, and the cowboy. So that's what they dressed up as and represented. Now, people today pretty much know the village people as being sort of some perennial wedding song uh, DJ playing thing with YMCA mm-hmm. or Macho Man or, you know, any of those songs. In the right? Navy. In the Navy is another one of their hits. Um, But in the disco era, the village people were actually a symbol of the struggle for acceptance by the gay community. And a lot of people are not aware of that. Mm -hmm. So the group was created specifically to cater to New York's and especially Greenwich Village, which is what they were named after, the gay population there. Mm -hmm. When they broke through into mainstream success, they were, in a way, helping the gay community reach mainstream, uh, you know, reach, reach the mainstream as well. And then... Disco was like at the time in the late seventies huge. I mean, there was Saturday Night Fever, uh, and it was it was everywhere. Disco was spreading across the country. There were actually you know disco radio stations, uh, and so it seemed. Hey, why not make you know why not make a movie that's a disco musical? Okay, that sounds good. Let's get the Village People. Let's do the movie. It'll be a surefire moneymaker, right? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot can happen. <laughs> In a couple of years' time. We'll get back to that, though. Okay. So, Can't Stop the Music was conceived as just a vehicle to promote the village people. And kind of was a a fictitious biography of the forming of the band. Uh, And it had uh, pre-Police Academy Steve Gutenberg Mm. as Jack Morrell, who was a songwriter. He was looking for his big break. But he could write songs, but he couldn't sing. So, his friend, Samantha played by Valerie Perrine, who was uh, Miss Tessmacher in the Superman movies, um, forms the village people to perform Jack's songs, right? So, you know, there was some musical numbers that happened, including one that took place in a YMCA, and you can guess what song that is. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so there are a couple of interesting, like, really, really flashy musical numbers. And without a doubt, this is literally the gayest movie I've ever seen. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. You can I don't say mean that. that. I can say that. I don't mean that in a bad way. But literally, mm-hmm. literally the gayest movie I've ever seen. Well, it's interesting that you talk about the stereotypes. Each one was a male stereotype. Like a set? macho, like overly macho stereotype. Like super manly. Yes. Okay, because when you said about the cowboy, I first thought about the marble man. And then I thought about Judas Priest. Does that count? No. Okay. Never mind. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so... And this is a weird thing. This is this sounds random. Bruce Jenner is in this movie. <laughs> Wait, 
be, wait, pre-Caitlyn Jenner. Yes, Because yes, we're talking yes. about the 1970s. Yes, wow. we're talking about it. Yeah, Was he in his Olympic uniform? Uh, no, he wore a belly shirt and short shorts throughout the movie. So there you Same go. Same thing then. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> so there's some questions there. Um, now, the movie itself is a big shiny mess, mm-hmm. I gotta say. It looks like it was shot through thick pieces of medical gauze. Uh, and the musical numbers are like super claustrophobic the way they're shot. But needless to say, the acting was atrocious. <sighs> Uh, you know, the village people were barely a real band. They were just basically put together from, like, they did auditions and things just to put the band together. The songs had actually already been recorded for their first album before the members were recruited, <laughs> which is kind of a bizarre way to do it. Milly Vanilli? Uh, yeah, it's just a little <laughs> odd. Uh, and the less said about Bruce Jenner's acting abilities, the better. Um, <laughs> he's about as animated as the weedy cereal box he made famous. Oh, um, now, the music, of course, it's pure disco, it's breezy, it's fun. Um, the film works best as kind of a snapshot of a truly bizarre time in American history. The country was about to suffer a huge case of cultural whiplash going in the 1980s. Um, it was became more focused on conservatism, materialism, things like that, after Ronald Reagan got elected president mm. in 1980. So the gay movement, which had been making huge strides throughout the 70s, was about to suffer both physically and culturally with the onset of the AIDS epidemic in the early 80s. So all that progress that was made just kind of went away. Yeah. Which was very sad. It was. And in the meantime, disco died. Unfortunately, for the makers of Can't Stop the Music, it died during production of the movie. Oh. So by the time it was released in the theaters in 1980, the backlash against disco was in full force. The music and the movement which was seen as very decadent and self-indulgent, was under attack by people that were basically growing tired of a decade of upheaval. Uh. The film barely grossed a tenth of its $20 million budget. Uh, The village people would go on, of course, primarily as a self-aware punchline and a relic of the time. But, you know, with that, it really is kind of a fascinating look at that period in American history like a time capsule kind of yeah and if you are interested in this uh, it is available free with a subscription to Amazon Prime mm-hmm. it is available to rent on iTunes Google Play and YouTube for three ninety nine. Uh Internet Movie Database gives this four and a half out of ten so four point five out of ten yeah and brace yourself Rotten yeah. Tomatoes eight <laughs> percent no way yes that's a insane whopping eight percent but I don't think I've seen many many shows or movies under ten percent. I know. Wow. And it doesn't really deserve it. It's right. it's bad, but it's interesting to watch, and the music is good. So I mean, you know, if you feel like checking it out, you know, put on your disco shoes and dance, mm-hmm. dance, dance. Um, so there you go. You know something that you it just reminded me. Hmm. Have you ever seen the movie Swing Kids? Yeah. Okay. In that time period where swing was something that, you know, was an underground movement and, um, you know, there was these massive society pulls to bring kids out of that. It kind of felt like you were explaining the disco the same way, where people were kind of underground with disco until it started sort of sweeping the nation. Yeah, you know, a lot of musical movements have that. You know, they yeah. start they start off sort of in, you know, tiny clubs and, you know, and then it explodes and then there's a backlash. Right. It becomes really popular, then people get sick of it and then it goes away. Yeah. So, but that's just, you know, cyclical for human beings. Anyway. History. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, moving on. Yes. Several episodes ago, I made some potentially misunderstood comments about another musical 
the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Still not over that. And I got some flack for it. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand. I never said I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I just said that it was a pure piece of cinema. It wasn't a particularly good movie. <laughs> I stand by that. To really appreciate it, you got to see it with an audience, right? Sure. That was my point. Now, to stoke the fires even more here, Ooh. I have to say that I enjoyed the sequel to Rocky Horror even more than the original. There's a sequel? Yes. You didn't know there was no. a sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Aha! A lot of people don't know this. <laughs> so buckle up. Okay. Listen up, divers. You're about to get a taste of shock treatment. <laughs> Hello. I'm Dr. Cosme McKinley. I'd like to tell you about a new film from the gang that gave you the Rocky Horror Show. Shock treatment. You need to be the Get to jumping like a real life wire. Need to be the shock treatment. So look out, mister. Don't you blow your last resistor for a fist that'll mystify ya. You'll be pathetically crazy about shock treatment. Trust me. I'm a doctor. (laughs) Yes, that's right. In 1981, the people behind Rocky Horror released a sequel to the popular cult musical. Now, you'd think that putting together a follow-up to a, let's face it, inadvertently popular cult movie and doing it without Tim Curry, Meatloaf, Susan Sarandon, or Barry Bostwick would be a terrible idea. And you'd be right. Yeah. I kind of want to see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, So Shock Treatment was the brainchild of the man behind the original stage musical of Rocky Horror, a guy named Richard O'Brien, who also played Riff Raff in the movie. Oh, yeah. I love Riff Raff. So he created the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, So in this movie, the heroes from the original Rocky Horror, Brad and Janet, played by different actors, because they couldn't get, you know, they couldn't get the original ones. Thank you. I get that. (laughs) um, Are now married. And they're living in their hometown of Denton, USA. (laughs) The entire town, though, has been turned into a television studio by a twisted businessman. And the residents essentially live their lives on camera. Now, keep in mind, this predates reality TV by a decade. And The Truman Show. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Brad and Janet are forced to appear on a game show called Marriage Maze. And after that game show, they are determined to not be compatible. They're separated. Janet becomes a reality TV star, right? (laughs) Brad is put in a mental asylum as part of another show called Denton Vale, which takes place in a mental asylum. Why is everything ending in Vale? I don't know. It's crazy. Now, Brad has to escape, save Janet, and expose the evil businessman who just happens to be, wait for it, Brad's evil twin. Oh, okay. And all the while, musical numbers happen. (laughs) So, while watching this movie, you see how eerily prophetic it is in predicting the reality TV trend that would just pervade the airwaves starting in the 90s. It's a really weird, quirky little movie that has a ton of great ideas, fun performances, and in my opinion, great musical numbers. Um, I actually have been a fan of this movie for a very, very long time. (laughs) Uh, Back in, if I can remember this correctly, Probably 1986. Okay. I was uh, visiting New York City, and I went to the late lamented Tower Records oh, in New York. This was like huge. It was like a four-story. Four and this was when they still had a lot of vinyl records. 
okay. And I bought the soundtrack to Shock Treatment. On vinyl. On vinyl. Wow. I think I still have it somewhere. <laughs> but I love the soundtrack. The music, I thought, was better than Rocky Horror. What? I really love the soundtrack to wow. this movie. So, while the movie itself is hard to find, Mm-hmm. It's not available officially on any streaming service, but as of this recording, it is available for free on YouTube. Somebody posted the whole movie. Oh. So watch yeah. it while you can <laughs> if you're interested. But the soundtrack is available on iTunes, Apple Music, and Spotify. So if you want to listen to the soundtrack, which I personally love, you can absolutely do that. And I, I highly recommend if you don't see the movie, at least listen to the music because I love the music. Mm-hmm. Now to the scores. Oh, yes. Internet Movie Database. 5.8 out of 10. Okay, that's a little bit higher than I thought. Rotten Tomatoes, a solid 50%. Really? Now, of course, not that many reviews because not that many people have seen this movie. <laughs> Did you know it exists? Exactly. A lot of yeah. people have no idea that this movie is even out there. That it has characters from the original Rocky Horror, Brad and Janet. And it has most of the other actors from Rocky Horror in it, including like the narrator, and they're all playing different characters. But the actors are still in it. You recognize them for who they are. Be like, oh, they're playing other people. So if you get the opportunity to see this, I do recommend it because if nothing else, it's a, it's an interesting curiosity when it comes to movies. So I really I really kind of like that one a lot. Fun fact. Richard O'Brien, so he turns everything into like a movie studio, you said. Mm-hmm. Were you aware that he hosted a kid's uh, TV show in Britain? I believe it's called The Crystal Palace. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I didn't know much about it, but I'm pretty sure I've heard my husband say it once or twice because he's from that land. Yeah. But people. I did know mm. that Richard O'Brien voiced the father in Phineas and Ferb. Oh, really? He was the dad. Oh, and he was also the really bad guy in the Cinderella movie with, um, what's her name? Oh, man, she was in E.T. too. The little girl in E.T. Drew Barrymore? Drew Barrymore! She was in that movie, the Cinderella movie-ish. I can't remember the name of it, but I loved it when I was in high school. And the guy... Ever after? Yes! Yes! And the guy who plays her love interest, mm-hmm. I had a crush on. Ah. But Richard O'Brien is also in that movie, and he's not a very nice man. Okay. He's really good at playing, like, kind of weird, creepy characters. Yes, yes, that's his pretty yeah. much his forte. Yeah. But he has a hell of a voice. Yeah. So... That was a good pick. I actually really want to see that now. It's it's fun. Yeah, it's a very interesting little movie, (laughs) but I love it because it's just you know it's so obscure. If you love it, so obscure. Yeah. All right. So, uh, any other thoughts, emotions, feelings, hopes, dreams, fears? Well, glad you're asking that. Last night I had a dream. Can we go into that, or we don't have time, do we? Uh, sure. If you want to. (laughs) Uh, it's pretty long, complicated. But okay. basically, I had a dream about like dinosaurs and some something underworld. I don't know. I don't even know. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think that's a good place to to end to wrap things yeah, up. Absolutely. It's a okay. good episode. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed this. I'm really excited because you know what happens now. What happens now? We're gonna nail the ending. All right. So before we do that. Okay. All right. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Totally. Thank you so much. And be sure to. Join Manda and myself in a couple of weeks as we pack up some canned goods and some potable water (laughs) for our look at the barren wasteland that is post-apocalyptic movies. Creepy. That's right. Don't miss it. Unless society collapses, Manda and I will be trapped in our watery tomb for all eternity.
But there's no zombies down here, so we're good. Are they can't sure? swim. Are you sure about that? Oh, <gasps> zombie megalodon. Sure, why not? <laughs> no. You're, you go weird places. Yeah, I know. You I know. Do. That's why I can't drive. All right, on that happy note. <laughs> three, two, two and transmission. Man, really? What did I forget? <sighs> Special thanks to Spirits of the Symphonic and Echocraft for our amazing theme music. Links to both artists can be found on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.podbean.com. If you like us, you can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, Overcast, or wherever fine podcasts are found. The Deep Dive Podcast is a production of Automaton Media.